Turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 John, chapter number 3. I ask you to keep your Bibles open this morning as we will be looking and reading more Scripture than we normally do in a service like this. But I want you to turn to 1 John, chapter number 3. And let's begin at verse number 1. 1 John, chapter 3, verse number 1. Thank you, brother, for that song. And, and the, and the congregationals as well. First John chapter three, verse number one, the word of the Lord says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The word manner there actually means otherworldly, meaning it's not of this world. Remember when Jesus spoke and made the winds and the waves lay down at his feet. And the men proclaimed in the boat and said, What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey? And so when they said that word manner, they said, This guy, he's from another world. And verse 1 says, What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. This love that God has bestowed upon us is from another world. And he says that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Look in verse 14. We know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Would you look over in chapter 4 with me, please, and look in verse number 7. The Bible says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. 
And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, and remember the Bible says he is what? He is love. And he also says in 1 John that he is light. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You and I are to be light and we are to be love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. And he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. But this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. Father, would you bless thy servant with the burden you put on my heart. Help me, dear God, I pray, to articulate the truth in a way that can be easily understood. And while I speak on the outside, I pray that you'd speak to them on the inside. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'd like to give you three simple thoughts about the love of God this morning. First of all, I want to say that the love of God has been expressed. I want you to look with me again in chapter number 4. It says here in uh, verse uh, number 19, When I say the love of God, sometimes folks say, does God really care? Has God shown us that He loves us? I will say to you that God has gone way out of His way to express His love towards you. That is if you believe what the Bible says about you. The Bible says that you are a sinner. And the Scripture says if you say that you have not sinned, you have made Him a liar. And God cannot lie. And so for you to accept the fact that you're a sinner... Helps you to understand why the world is in such chaos and why there is such corruption. And that God would have anything to do with us at all is a matter of grace and mercy toward us. But the Bible says in verse number 19 that this this love of God has been initiated by God. Not by you and not by me. God doesn't love me because I loved Him first. The Bible says in verse 19, we love Him Because he first loved us. God loved me before I ever began to love him. And according to verse number 9, it says this, 
in this was manifested the love of God. And you'll notice that there's a word repeated in verse 9 and in verse 10 and in verse number 14. And it's the word sent. The Bible says that God initiated His love by sending His Son to be the Savior of the world. The book of Galatians even said, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. Did God initiate His love? Yes. How? By sending forth His Son. Not only did He initiate it, but He also demonstrated it. The Bible says here in chapter 4, verse number 10, it says, Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. Now, that's the initiating of His love. But the demonstrating of His love is the fact that His Son came to also die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says in verse number 10, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. First time I went to church and heard that word propitiation, it went right over my country noggin. And the first time I heard the word reconciliation, it went right over it as well. But I do know this, now that that word propitiation, and breaking it down in simple language, is that Jesus Christ bore in His body on the tree my sins. And that He became the sacrifice that was pleasing unto a holy God and took my place upon the tree. So God is demonstrating here His love, not just saying, I love you, but showing that He loves me. In chapter number uh, 3 it is, I believe it is. If you look over there and look in verse number 16, the Bible says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. And you do need to know it. You do need to perceive it. You need to perceive it so that you can believe it. And once you believe it, you can receive it. Look what he says. Hereby perceive we the love of God because... How do you know God loves you? Don't ever doubt the fact that God loves you. Look what he says. He says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. This is how you perceive the love of God. For my sins and for your sins. Matter of fact, Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he says, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. He also went to say in that same chapter, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I like the words of this song. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has expressed His love toward us? And I know again that you look back and sometimes folks question the love of God because of all the chaos and confusion upon the earth. And some folks have their own conceived ideas of what the solution is to this planet. But I like this statement that someone wrote one time. I think it says it very well. 
Much better than I could ever come up with. And he says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. I want you to look with me, please, in First John again in chapter number 4. God's love has been expressed. We believe that here. We sing about it. We rejoice over the fact that Jesus died for our sins and God raised Him from the dead for our justification. We walk in those doors with confidence in our heart that we have been reconciled unto God through the death of His Son. So we lift up our voices in praise to Him. And in a few weeks, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper, remembering what He has done for us, confident that it was sufficient to satisfy a holy God, and knowing that we've been reconciled, and knowing that I can lay my head down at night and not worry if I die in my sleep, where am I going? What a blessing that is. God's love has been expressed to me. I have perceived it. I have believed it. And I have received it by bowing my knee and calling on the name of Jesus Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. But you'll notice in chapter 4, there was another common theme in the verses that we read. Not only was it expressed by God, but now it is also expected by God for it to be duplicated through us. Now look at this. Look in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. This is a, can I say this is a, a single love that goes in two directions. It's a love that goes vertical, in that because He first loved us, we love Him. But it also is horizontal. In that we love the brethren. Look in chapter 4 and verse number 20. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. God wants me to love upward, him. And God wants me to love outwardly, you. God expects this of me. As he is, so are we. He is light. In him is no darkness. I am to walk in the light as He is in the light. And I am to shine in a dark world. There ought to be something different about our lives that's different from the heathen and the ungodly and the reprobate. But also the fact that God says, I want you to express my love in your life to others and especially to your brother that is in Christ. You'll notice he says in chapter 5, verse number 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. You know what those commandments are? That you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you love your brother. And he says, neither one of these are grievous. He said, neither one of these are grievous to you. This is not something that should be difficult for you to do. That is to love God. And to love your brother. You say, well, Brother Roger, I don't have any problem loving God. But you know, you know, the brethren, they're different. This is why you need help. 
Chapter 4, verse number 13. Notice what he says here. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. God gave you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, according to Romans chapter 5, the Bible says the Holy Ghost shed abroad, shed abroad in your heart the love of God. The love of God. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he says it's touching brotherly love. He said, he said, you are, you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. The Holy Ghost in you enables you to love the unlovely and the difficult. Look in chapter 3, verse 14, if you would please again. Do you believe you're saved this morning? Can I ask you a question? How do you know you are? How do you know you're saved? Really? Is it possible for a person to know for sure that they are saved? Okay, what are you going to base that on? Are you going to base it on the scriptures? All right, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you may know. And so there is a, there is a scriptural foundation for your assurance. Okay, so part of it has to do with your confession. If we confess that Jesus is the Christ, he says, God dwelleth in us. Right? But the other part of that is, he says, how do you know that you are saved? He says this, look in chapter 3, look at this, verse 14. He says, we know that we have passed from death unto life. How do you know that? He said, because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. It is not just your confession, but it also is your conversion. Your conversion. God changing you from the inside out. And you loving not only God, but loving whom God has also birthed into the family of God. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That's pretty plain. That's pretty black and white. You say, well, I, I, I love God, but I just can't, I just can't stand going to church and being around all those people. I would, I would ask you to actually judge yourself according to the scriptures. Seriously. I know that it takes the Holy Ghost, and grace for you to love me. At, at times, at times I'm lovable, at sometimes I'm not. And there are times that you're easy to love, and there are times you're not. And I need something that goes beyond the natural. I need something that goes to the supernatural. That God would help me to love you. When you're not easy to love. And to love you 
Because God has put that love in my heart. And the closer that I stay in my love to God, the easier it's going to be for me to love you. The further I get away from my love for God, the harder it's going to be for me to love you. The further I get away from the love of God, the more that I love myself. And the less that I love you. This whole principle is based even upon what the very first of the commandments are, which the law falls upon, is that you love the Lord thy God and you love your neighbor as yourself. But you got to love God first. And so it is expected of me. It is a commandment. It is not a suggestion. It is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It is a choice. My actions towards you are based upon my love for God. And you'll notice something else here. Jesus said, by this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. I am so sick and tired of Baptist churches fussing and fighting. I am so sick and tired of the, of the pettiness of the saints. It makes me want to run away from the ministry and hide. Churches in Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, and East Texas, I don't know what it is about those regions. I'm telling you, I agree with the brother who said there are too many churches and there are too many preachers and teachers. I agree with it. I'm talking about as far as our areas are concerned. You know why? Because if you only had one church to go to, you'd have to get right with God and you'd have to get right with your brother. It was the church at Ephesus. It was the church at Thessalonica. It was the church at Corinth. In Mississippi, at least an area where I grew up in Monroe County, these churches, they'll start well. Somebody gets sideways, they pick up a rock, throw it down the road, start another church, and call it Unity Baptist Church, and then go for a while and then split again, throw a rock and start another one and call it Friendship Baptist Church. And on and on it goes. And we have failed to show before you throw rocks at the heathen in our country and the ungodly, and the reprobate. Look at us. Judgment will begin at the house of God. Yes, I can have my disagreements with you. My duty rules over my desire. My duty to be faithful to my God overrides my desire to walk away from you. And I will love you in spite of yourself. And I will love you in spite of myself because of the love of God that has been shed abroad in my heart. Love is not, you got to understand, listen, you got to get past that fuzzy feeling of emotions. God's love is action. Buddy, it's action. Now, I like to feel it. But when I can't feel it, I can faith it in obedience to God. But it is expected. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I need you, if you possibly can, to come back tonight 
Because this is a five-point message, but I'm only going to preach three points this morning. God burdened and burned us in my heart this week, and I need you to hear it. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 13. God's love has been expressed. God's love is expected of me. God expects me to love my brother. And I do love you. Can I say that even in my obedience to God, that I can honestly say that I love you, but I also feel that love in my heart towards you? That there is compassion in my heart towards you, that I am compelled to want to be around you? As long as I stay right with God. When I move away from God, I find myself withdrawing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at this. Not only is the love of God been expressed, not only has the love of God been expected of me, but the love of God is essential. It is essential. It is essential. Look at this. Look in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. My goal as a pastor is to prepare you for the judgment seat of Christ. Yes, you've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the mercy and grace of God, but you have been created unto good works. Everything that you've done since you were born again, before you were born again, everything is underneath the blood of Christ. Everything has been forgiven. Everything has been erased. And now God's keeping a new tab on what are you doing with your life since He bought you with His own Son. And He's keeping a tab of what you are doing with your life because now you have been saved and given a purpose to live and a purpose to die. You now belong to Him. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we shall all stand before God. According to Hebrews 13, as a pastor, I stand in greater judgment. For what I have taught you and how I have taught you. In what spirit did I teach you then? All of that. And then how you responded to that. What did you do with the truth that you were presented? I don't believe that God will hold you accountable for the truth you have not been told. That will fall upon me. But what you have been told, you are now being held accountable for to God. And at the judgment seat of Christ, I want want us all to be able to get up there and say, Lord, you know I taught them. And then over here, and Lord, I received it, and I applied it, and I walked in it. And the Lord then would look at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And your works will be tried by fire. Your motive matters to God. Your method matters to God. Just being sincere is not enough. you got to do it scripturally. And your message must be clear and plain. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Now look at this, look at this. It is essential. It is essential. When you see the word charity in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a reason why the Holy Ghost used that word charity and why the King James men that that, that put this together and preserved it for us used the word charity. Because the word love sometimes can be misunderstood because it can be, there are different meanings for the word love. Like the word love 
Okay, I like the word suffer. The word suffer can mean you allow something or that you are experiencing some pain and sorrow. You agree? And so it is here with the word love. The word love. I mean, you can say that you love fried chicken. But I think your wife would like you to go beyond that level when you tell her that you love her. You agree? And God would prefer that your love for your brother go beyond even your family love. And when that love of God begins to become perfected, the word charity is used. The word for mature love, for godly love, is charity. Now the word love sometimes... In the scriptures, in its context, normally it defines itself, but sometimes it also means charity. And usually, it defines itself in its context. But here, no mistake. There are no mistakes. Just some misunderstandings in the Word. First Corinthians 13, but look at this. Do you know when God saved you, He saved you, gifted you, put you in the body, you know, if I could, if I could, if I could take any young convert, any new believer, and if I had to, if I had to shake them a little bit, make them believe something, now that they're born again, it would be the fact that God bought you and God gifted you, and not for yourself, but for us. God put you in here to benefit me. God put you in here to benefit our brother and sister. Now watch. Now you benefit from us, but we benefit from you. Don't keep it to yourself. Chapter 12, look at verse 31. The last part of that verse, he said, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Charity is the most excellent way. Look at this. Now look carefully. We're talking about it's essential. Verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So I may have great oratory skills and the ability to speak well, but without charity in my heart and in my message, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, which means your attitude and you're irritating more than you are edifying. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, maybe you have the ability to perceive and, and to see what is going to have in the areas of eschatology. And you may have some insight that nobody else has, but if you can't deliver it in a spirit of charity, you're going to wind up dividing and hurting and harming more than you are helping. The Bible says here, I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am what? Verse 3, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me what? I don't want, I don't want that to be for you at the judgment seat of Christ. God has given you to the body, to profit the body. Would you look in chapter 12, verse 4? Chapter 12, verse number 4. Look at this carefully. It says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
Everybody's going to be different. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And he's saying here in chapter 13 that if you don't operate in love, if you don't operate in charity, you're not going to profit us. So you're not being led or filled with the Spirit, though you might possess this gift. This gift is not being used in an unselfish, godly manner. Verse 7 says very carefully, the manifestation, that means when the Holy Spirit is manifesting Himself through you. Meaning, you are, God's using you. It doesn't have to be in a church setting like this. But God's using you. And now, and, and when you are doing it in the right spirit and you're being led by the spirit, it is going to profit me and it's going to profit your brother and it's going to profit your sister. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to be, you're going to edify us. You're going to build us up. You're going to fulfill your purpose and it's going to be good for us and it's going to be good for you too. That's why it is essential. He says, if without this, it's going to profit you and it's not going to profit, it's going to profit you absolutely nothing. I'm going to be honest with you in verse number three. I believe that we're a giving church. Some people give for the wrong reason. He said, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity. Some folks do things for vain reasons. They really do. Some folks, some folks honestly uh, would uh, rather die than live. And that's true in other religions. Some folks will strap bombs to their chest and blow themselves up in the name of God. For their religion. But yet they don't want to live day by day expressing the love of God and dealing with people. It's like you want to be a doctor but you don't want to touch anybody. You want to be a doctor but you don't want to be around people. But you want to be called doctor. Some of you want to be called Christians but you don't want to be around people. You don't want to have to minister to people. You don't want to have to love people. You don't want to have to forgive people. You don't want to have to treat people the way that God would have you to treat them. And so the Lord says, this is going to profit you nothing. You say, well, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. But are you a blessing? You say, well, I'm trying. Are you? How about yielding? And then try it. Let God use you to minister to other people. Now, I need you to turn with me quickly. And I, don't want, I need you to see this. Look with me. Revelation chapter number 2. Let's close with this thought tonight. All right? Revelation, this, this morning. Revelation chapter number 2. In order for you to profit the church, you're going to have to operate in the realm of charity. And by the way, you need to know what that really is and operating inside that realm of what that really is. That's why chapter 13 explains what it is. We'll talk about that tonight, but also he evaluates what it is because he talks about that transformation from when you were a child, you thought as a child. The transformation takes place and you put it aside and you become a man. So how do you evaluate your love life biblically? Well, you can. I'll ask you some questions, and I'm going to give you a self-test if you're not afraid to come back. Revelation chapter number 2. 
Look at this. In order for me, it is essential that I operate in the spirit of love and of charity that is mature and perfected. It's the most excellent way because it will profit the church, the body. Jesus said that you're to love one another as I have loved you. Did Jesus care about his men? Oh, man, he sure did. Was he concerned about them? Absolutely. Did he have the courage to speak honestly with them? Yes, he did. Did he have compassion upon them, though they irritated him at times? Oh, yes, they did. he did. You know why? Because the Bible says he came to minister and not to be ministered to. You see, here's one of the ways you can tell that you're growing in the love of God is that you come to be a blessing more than to get a blessing. That you'd like to come and be able to be a blessing to God, be a blessing to your brother, say something, not just here on Sunday, but during the week, asking God, God, can you use me today? Lord, help me to be a blessing to somebody today. That's where you got to listen and you got to watch. Listen and hear. Listen and, and pay attention. Look for opportunities. But I want you to look right here in chapter number 2. Then we'll have an invitation here for you. Look at this. It's essential in order for me to profit you and for you to profit me. It's essential. And for it to be profitable for you at the judgment seat of Christ, it is essential. Otherwise, zeros. Zeros. Okay, now look at Revelation chapter 2. Look with me in verse number 2. It also is essential to please the Lord. Verse 2 says, I know thy works. Talking about the church at Ephesus. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. So real charity, real love for God does not tolerate evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Real love, real charity, pursues truth and exposes error. Verse 3, And has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. They've been, they've been faithful in some areas. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. It does not say lost. Lost is something you don't you can't find. Left is something you know where to go back to. Because thou hast left thy first love. Did it not tell you earlier in the message that this love, it has two directions. It's a single love, two directions. Vertical, horizontal. The Bible says this. He says, verse 5. Now here's what we have to do here. A single love and two directions. Verse 5 says, Remember, therefore from whence thou art fallen. Remember what? Remember the manner of love that has been bestowed upon you. 
And when you observe the Lord's Supper, remember me, he said. The price that was paid to purchase you through his body and through his blood. You remember, don't forget the price that's been paid for you. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your spirit matters. Your attitude matters. It does. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And then he says, and repent. Change your attitude. Confess this to God that my heart is not where it ought to be. When you find yourself abhorring your brother, you can't stand your church family. Or there are certain people in their church that you just can't seem to absolutely stand. Those are the ones God will use as sandpaper many times to help you to increase and perfect your love. And you just draw nigh to Him and He'll give you the grace that you don't possess for your brother and sister in Christ. Now look what he says. He says, you remember and you repent. Change your attitude. Confess it to God. All right, but then he says, watch carefully. He says, and do the first works. That is return. That means prioritize. Love God and love, he's saying love me and love my children. I think many of us parents feel that way. Hey, if, 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 if you're going to love me, you've got to take the whole package. Isn't that right? <laughs> if you're going to love me, you've got to love my children. All right, and here's what God says. If you love me, you've got to love my kids. He said, if you love me, you've got to love your brother. All right, I need you to show you a few verses, and then we're going to have an invitation. All right, I want you to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. He told me to tell you these things today. God's love has been expressed to you. It's expected out of you. It is essential in order for you to please God and for you to be profitable to the body. Look, look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, a few pages back to your left. just want to show you a couple of verses, and then we're going to ask Cindy to come to the piano. 1 Peter chapter 1, look with me please there if you would, in verse number 22. And again, this passage is written in a context of remembering that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who died for your sins. Okay? And then he says in verse 22, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned Love, that is without hypocrisy, without guile. I'm not pretending. I really do love you. I really do care about you. I don't want to lose you in my life. There'd be a void if something happened to you. I don't want to be at your house every day this week. Do you understand? I don't want that. You know, the Bible says don't visit your neighbor's house too often lest he hate thee. But the Bible says here, under unfeigned love of the brethren that you love one another with a pure heart. How? Fervently. Not just a little bit. Fervently. Look in chapter 4, please, and look in verse number 8. The Bible says, 
and above all things. Would you say that's a priority, Brother Ed? Above all things? Have fervent charity. Not just charity, fervent charity. Among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude. Not all sins. Some sins can't be overlooked. But it's the glory of a man to pass over a transgression. Some things you can't overlook. If you love somebody, you can. You can see that they're going in the right direction. He says, but charity shall cover the multitude of sins. God can help you to overlook some of the faults of your brethren. The word faults is used in another passage. Charity will help you to, over, to overlook and overcome a multitude of faults. One more place. Chapter 5, verse number 14. Look at this. He says, Greet you one another. Greet you one another. Now let's take the principle out of this, okay? Greet you one another with a kiss of charity. A kiss of charity. A kiss of charity. What is that? Well, first of all, I don't want you kissing me after church, all right? But back in those days, you know, they did the bob and weave. You know what I'm talking about? And some of them, they probably still do that over there. I mean, I think they do. I think the Arabs and some of the Jews, they still, they still do the bob and weave. But if you just give me the right hand of fellowship, and would you look at me like you mean it? Instead of shaking my hand and looking this way, good to see you, brother. You understand? It's it's a it's a there's something about the human touch in the appropriate manner that encourages a brother and sister in Christ. And I realize in this day of pandemics that people are hesitant to do that, and I ask you to use some discretion. But even if you just want to give me some knuckles, that'd be all right. But look at me and act like you mean it, like, hey, man, I really am glad to see you. That matters, because you know what? When you go to work, they probably ain't too glad to see you. Do you understand? God has put us together, and the Bible says that we need to remember the manner of love that God has given to us. Man, God loved me when I was really bad. I mean, really bad. A sinner ungodly. And He wants me to repent of my attitude toward Him and toward you. And He wants me to return and prioritize my life and make sure that I love Him and that I love you. You know... A church house has got to be more than people go together and just are busy like an anthill. It's got to be a place where you want to go and just experience just being around each other a little bit. But also you think about, I don't want to drive up in the driveway and say, well, this is my, this is a house I live in, but this is really not a home. This is where we're married, but there's, you know, we just kind of exist around each other. I don't want to be like that. I want to be able to, to walk in the door and my wife, that she can, she can greet me with any kind of kiss. Okay, you understand? But again, it is that 
I'm glad to see you. Oh, or is it, oh no, he's back. Oh no, she's still here. That's terrible, isn't it? Don't walk in that door and say, boy, I sure hope brother so-and-so ain't here today. Oh, man. Do you understand that your religion needs to be a little bit bigger than the world's religion? By this shall all men know you are my disciples. Got some good stuff for you tonight if you come back. I promise you I'll do it in love. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed. With our eyes closed, maybe God spoke to your heart this morning. And if you have not been born again, I want you to know that God loves you and will save you today. And if you're a brother and sister in Christ and you feel like you need to draw up closer to God, then I need you to just draw up closer to Him and say, God, give me grace to love my brother. God, give me grace to love my sister. Help me to be like Jesus and to love them like you love me. Father, I pray these folks would respond to the leading of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name.